Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Monday, November 23rd. We begin with a look at the current COVID-19 situation in Alberta. With record-breaking new cases in the province, we get reaction from the official opposition on the UCP government's handling of the crisis. We speak with NDP health critic David Shepard. November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month. We hear about the research being done right here in our city to help those battling the disease. We catch up with Dr. Gwyn Bebb of the Tom Baker Cancer Center. Next, we hear some interesting results on a study out of the University of Illinois that looks at the surprising increase of non-COVID-19 deaths during the pandemic. Dr. Ted Jablonski brings us details on this new research. And finally, it's a holiday surprise aimed at literally brightening the spirits of local veterans. We hear all about the festive project conceived by the ATCO, Homes for Heroes Foundation. MLA for Edmonton City Centre and NDP health critic David Shepard is joining us now this morning with some thoughts on the UCP and its response to the COVID-19 pandemic so far in Alberta. Good morning, David. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You know, UCP supporter or not, I think a lot of Albertans right now are pretty disappointed with the leadership. We've had no sign of the premier since November 13th, and a lot of people are, are growing very concerned about that. Absolutely, and I can entirely understand why. Uh, yesterday, of course, we saw our province hit a new record for a number of new cases, over 1,500 new cases of COVID-19 detected, and we led Canada for the first time. So let's be clear, Alberta, with a population one-third of that of Ontario, had more new cases of COVID-19 than Ontario did yesterday. So that's incredibly concerning. And as you say, the Premier is nowhere to be seen. It's been, I think, nine days since he last actually spoke directly to the people of Alberta about the pandemic and made himself accountable, answered questions. In the time since, we haven't seen him or Health Minister Tyler Shandrew. They've just simply hung our Chief Medical Officer of Health out to dry and they're refusing to be accountable and answer for the decisions they have made frankly in my view failed decisions that have brought us to this point david it's fine to uh you know uh you know sit back and say this is the way it should be hindsight is 2020 fact is your government is not in power but if it was in power tell us the plan that would have been laid out and and how far reaching back you would have made some changes So starting weeks ago, so like literally uh, over three weeks ago, we were calling, (laughs) we were calling for, pardon me. We were calling for some clear steps to be taken. Uh, One of the things, of course, is around contact tracing. This government knew starting from, from the summer. They had lots of time when they could have prepared for what they knew was coming. They knew was school reopening with the flu season, with folks being forced indoors by winter weather, that the pressures would rise and more capacity would be needed. They could have been hiring more contact tracers. Instead, they sat on the same 800, and to be clear, not all those folks were even full-time, that they had at the end of the, at the beginning of summer. And they failed to build up. And now we are at a point where we see that we don't know the source of 80% of the new cases that are coming out. They are utterly overwhelmed and unable to keep up, and now they're scrambling to hire more. So that's certainly one thing we would have done, gotten that number up to around 1,300, which is where the data says it should be. Uh, working on making sure the testing turnaround times are fast enough to be able to protect. Working on a staffing plan for long-term care. Uh, right here in my constituency, the Edmonton General, highest outbreak that we've had since the start of COVID-19 is currently going on. We know that the pressures continue to rise. We've seen other 
uh, South Terrace here in Edmonton uh, that was in a, a really bad state. And again, that's a failure of government to prepare and be and uh, be in there to support folks. And certainly things like we just called recently for even just a targeted mass bylaw, just those communities where we know we have the highest levels of spread that are under enhanced watch by Alberta Health Services, that the premier simply showed the leadership to implement a mandate for masks in those communities, and they're refusing to do that. They're refusing to even commit to wear masks themselves in all public spaces. So these are simple things the government could have done to put us in a much better position than we are now. And boy, I think what you said at the beginning, the tracking tracking and tracing severely lacking in the province right now, for sure. I know Rachel Notley tweeted over the weekend that the NDP will be seeking an emergency debate this afternoon on the record case counts that we've seen over the weekend and the lack of information. What are you hoping to achieve your party through this emergency debate today if in fact it does happen well if the if the premier uh, if premier kenny jason kenny if uh, our health minister tyler sharendale won't make themselves available to the public and you know to the press to be held accountable for the decision that we made then we as the official opposition are going to do our job and work to hold them to account in the legislature so certainly we've been continually bringing this up in question period of course, they uh, dodge, duck, and weave. So we are looking for this emergency debate so that we can press them uh, directly on behalf of the people of Alberta to get information, to get data, to press them for what action they are considering taking, what the, the next steps are going to be, and indeed keep pressing them to take the real action that we know Albertans are wanting to see as this is the only government, well, this is the, the government in Canada has the lowest satisfaction rating for dealing with COVID-19, deservedly so, and Albertans deserve answers. And that's what we want to demand in the emergency debate. David, I got a text here that said, would the NDP lock us down? And uh, you know, attached to that question, David, I'd like to ask you, you know, one of the main things we're here, we did hear from Premier Jason Kennedy is the fear of the economy. So would the NDP lock us down? And what would you do to ensure and to, to keep those businesses at ease uh, that it wouldn't decimate their businesses with a lockdown? So let's be clear. There's people that like to make say that, you know, there's a dichotomy. It's either the economy or it's the population health. That is not true. The economy is people. Economists have come out and spoken quite clearly on this over the last few days and said, even if we do not shut down businesses, if we allow COVID cases to continue to rise unchecked, that hurts businesses. People become afraid to go out. They become afraid to go shopping. Businesses get hurt either way. And Jason Kenney, unfortunately, by refusing to take the actions, simple actions that could have been taken earlier, on is backing us into a corner where it may become the fact that that a lockdown is inevitable. Now, to be clear, we are not we none of us want a lockdown. That is the last place anyone wants to go. But we got to recognize that we got to do what we need to do to protect the health of Albertans. But ultimately, we do not have the data. Jason Kenney has the data. Dr. Dina Henshaw has the modeling data that the premier denies exists. And without that, it's really difficult to say, yeah, absolutely, this is a step we have to take and to weigh in to balance that, which is why we're calling for this emergency debate, which is why we have continued to press the premier to provide us with the information that he is looking at to make these decisions. And certainly we are seeing the impact in the community. We are hearing from the medical community that he is backing us into a corner where our hospitals are increasingly closer to being completely overwhelmed. And that may be the only step left to take. So the premier needs to come clean with Albertans, show up and be accountable. Do Have you heard anything from the UCP party as to whether this emergency debate may even go ahead today? Have you had any response whatsoever with this request? 
We've uh, had no response from them so far. Certainly, the track record with this government is not a good one. Uh, they're very heavy-handed in terms of trying to control the agenda at all times, and it certainly don't often support us as the opposition in trying to hold them to account for Albertans. But nonetheless, we are going to press for it. We're going to bring our case forward, and we'll see if maybe this time they decide to do what's right for the province. Got another quick question for you here, and again, it's a, a little more specific here, David. Ask uh, if a new lockdown happens, what needs to be closed exactly? Would it be the same as far as from an MDP standpoint to be effective that we did see earlier in the year? What would the plan be? So, again, I don't have the data. So these decisions should be made based on the data and where they know the greatest amount of community spread would be. Now, certainly we've heard from medical and scientific expertise. Uh, Dr. Hinshaw has spoken before about where those greatest points of community spread are. Uh, Again, I want to see the data so that we can make the best possible decision. But again, unfortunately, the longer we go without taking even more targeted measures, the more Jason Kenney is forcing us into a position where we may have to go back to what we saw in the spring. And if he does not want that to happen, he needs to come clean with Albertans. He needs to provide us with the data, and he needs to take real and targeted action to, uh, to bring these case counts down. David, we thank you very much for your time this morning. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. That is David Shepard, MLA for Edmonton City Centre and the NDP Health Critic. 6.09 on your Monday morning, and yes, this is Lung Cancer Awareness Month, and we have some top researchers in the field right here in our very own city. Joining us this morning is Dr. Gwen Bebb, medical oncologist at the Tom Baker Cancer Centre. Good morning, Dr. Bebb. Thanks for being on the show this morning. Good morning, Sue and Andy. It's just a pleasure to be here. And a pleasure to talk with you. Uh, we've worked together at uh, the Lung Cancer Fundraisers, and uh, you know, I, I know that you're uh, I, a big researcher in this city. You have an amazing team going on here. And last week we spoke with someone who's been living with lung cancer to get their perspective. From yours, are we doing enough as a country, as a whole, doing enough in the lung cancer research? Well, I think the answer is that we never quite do enough until we're able to cure everybody and uh, minimize their symptoms during their journey. Um, but certainly we're doing a lot. And I think if you look at, back over the 10, last 10, 15 years, we've been doing increasingly more. And I think we can uh, feel that our contribution um, of what we're doing here in Calgary actually has impact both nationally and internationally. Dr. Dr. Bebb, can you break down for us what makes lung cancer so unique within under the umbrella of cancer as far as, you know, treatment and detection? What, what, what makes it stand out? Well, it is a particularly difficult disease to, to manage all, all told. I think it's one of those uh, diseases that kind of hides and lurks until it's at an advanced stage. Um, at least two-thirds of our patients have disease that can't be taken out by surgery. That means they have what we call either metastatic disease, disease that spreads to other organs, uh, which is incurable, or they have disease that has spread locally within the lung to the point that uh, we can't take it out surgically and we have to rely on other things like radiation and, uh, and chemotherapy as well as immunotherapy, all in a big cocktail to try to treat it. But that means that, um, uh, you know, the statistics with lung cancer are a lot kind of more gloomy than we have with other cancers. Overall survival for lung cancer at five years is about 19% versus 90% for, say, breast cancer or, uh, or, or prostate cancer. And then on top of that, it has been a very difficult disease to treat with the uh, traditional drugs that we have. Uh, chemotherapy has been proven particularly hugely effective in uh, changing the course of 
um, uh, of, of lung cancer. And on top of that, I think because it happens in a lot of our older patients and sometimes is associated with other diseases, it makes it difficult for us to give the kind of treatment that is the best because patients are not quite strong enough to do it. So you put all those things together and it is a particularly difficult challenge. Mm-hmm. I think what we're seeing now is with the adoption of newer targeted therapies and the adoption of immunotherapy, we're slowly changing the experience of our patients. Nonetheless, those patients whose uh, journeys are improved tend to be on these treatments for a long time. And so it's not just a case of giving the treatment and then we have our effect. You have to stay on these uh, treatments for months and sometimes years. And so that in itself becomes a new challenge because the side effects keep accumulating and our quality of life can be hampered by that. So overall, yes, lung cancer is a particularly challenging disease to treat. And not to mention, too, uh, you know, I, I think it gets a bad rap, right? Because people just think um, smoking off the top. And so it's not as, as sexy a cancer for to have the, you know, the big events surrounding. Yes. Let's talk about you and your research and what you're doing as an oncologist at the Tom Baker and your team there. What, what kind of research are you focusing on right now and what are you seeing good results from? Well, I think uh, we have to point out to um, two of our big programs. Uh, the ones I'm involved with are the Glanslook uh, Lung Cancer Database. This is uh, essentially a collection of information about our patients' journeys over the last 20 years. And what this is uh, doing really is it's uh, giving us some insight into uh, the experience that patients have at the time they're diagnosed, what they're treated with, um, how long they go before the next level of the next line of treatment, how long they survive. Um, uh, all these uh, things put together and we have uh, a very granular database that now that is being used to uh, show how outcomes are improving and at the moment we're involved with a project with uh, Alberta Health Services looking at what the costs of uh, lung cancer treatment is and how that could be um, lessened by an effective screening program. The other, the other program I've been uh, heavily uh, involved in developing is what we call the Precision Ecology and Experimental Therapeutics Program, and I think this is very exciting. Um, this is looking at the molecular markers uh, associated with cancer. We know that uh, for those patients who have um, advanced cancer and whose uh, cancer takes their lives, the, the, the cancer cells that uh, take their lives are not the ones that they were diagnosed with. There's been an evolution there. And so the POE program is uh, looking specifically at following the trajectory of the cancers and the immune systems in our patients to see how they evolve over time and to see how treatment has to change with that. So overall, there's a, there's a number of exciting things going on. The capabilities that we have at the university now allow us to do things that we could only dream of about uh, uh, 10 or even five years ago. And the other important thing I want to say about this is that a lot of these capabilities and uh, most of the studies that I've described to you are being made possible by patient donations. Donations of two kinds, donations of samples and, of course, donations of finances. The glands look uh, uh, is, is actually named after two patients who helped initiate the whole program, um, John Glans and Jim Look. And then the POET program was uh, helped uh, into being by donation from um, another patient, Arnie Charbonneau. So the, the milieu, if you like, of research here is extraordinarily good with researchers, uh, young investigators and clinicians like myself all coming on board and cooperating and all of being supported by the community to a huge extent, like I've just outlined. And I think our collaborations across the country and across the, uh, across the world are slowly increasing. And I think the, the satisfaction we get from that is a, a, a very important motivating thing to, to help us move forward with other discoveries. 
How does, uh, Dr. Bepp, how does the Tom Baker Cancer Center and, uh, you know, the work being done not just in our city but in our province and in our nation stack up across the globe? Um, you know, uh, as far as, you know, are, are we at the top or is this something that everybody's in it together across the world? Well, I think it is important to say that every is in it together across the world. Um, just earlier this week, there was a publication in, uh, in a journal called Cancer Cell. Um, it will, will be published in physical form for a few months, but it's available online straight away. And the information in that is immediately disseminated across the, across the globe. Um, we've established a number of conferences here with, through the POET program and the Glance Look that allows us to communicate very uh, quickly with our collaborators across the world. So yes, information and knowledge does um, accumulate very quickly and is spread quite quickly as well. I think one of the things that we have to say though is that um, Calgary is in a very uh, striking growing phase of uh, success right now. We see increasing interest in terms of uh, funding from uh, charities and patients. We see increasing success rate of grant applications within the university and within the Charbonneau Cancer Research Institute. And all this uh, helps um, uh, put together a picture that makes us a very, very desirable place to be to do this kind of research. It is also eventually translated to improve outcomes for our patients. And I think, you know, if you look across the world, there are some centers that uh, we would like to emulate in every way, such as, you know, the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, for example, um, and some other institutions across the world. But I think uh, the combination of the research capabilities we have here, plus the universal healthcare system that's provided by the province, makes it possible for the vast majority of our patients to get um, better than standard care treatment uh, for their cancers. And that's a very important thing for our population. It's a very important thing for people coming into Calgary to realize that they bring up uh, their families here as well. And Dr. Bebb, thank you so much for what you and your team are doing, and thank you for joining us this morning. Appreciate your time. Absolute pleasure. That is Dr. Gwyn Bebb, who is a medical oncologist at the Tom Baker Cancer Center. 719 on the morning news. While the deaths due to the coronavirus have been well documented throughout the pandemic, researchers have also been looking at deaths attributed to other causes during the same time period. And their findings may surprise you. With details on the study, we're joined by Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Good morning to you, Dr. J. Good morning. Where does this uh, new research come from? Uh, this American uh, data, uh, and it was early in the COVID uh, story in the, in North America, so sort of the March, April, May. But what they found, uh, you can attribute, it's surprising, probably surprising to the population or to you, to me, that the death rate is extremely stable year to year to year. And every every month and every age grouping has a very specific number attached to it. But when COVID hit, the death rate outside of COVID was much higher than the baseline rate of year to year to year, which definitely caught the researchers' eyes in this study. So more non-COVID deaths as well? Correct. So you had your regular population uh, death rate, which is pretty fixed for the most part. You have all your COVID deaths, but there was this excess rate that was higher uh, and sort of unaccounted for. And it appeared to be within uh, males 15 to 59. So that's sort of generally middle age range. And for women, uh, uh, 25 to 44 years old. And this was completely unexplained. And, uh, you know, the key to this is really not trying to get into what happened or didn't happen because we won't understand this for probably a year. 
but it's the fact that there are excessive deaths and we need to look at that. Why are they happening and what are, what are we going mm-hmm. to do about it? Because COVID's not going away anytime soon. Okay, so do we think it's we think it's like kind of a shrapnel thing, whether it's the stress uh, of being under the pandemic that might trigger something if you have a, com- a comorbidity? Yeah, that's definitely part of it. And part of it, I think people are putting things on hold. And if I made any, uh, this is the comment of this morning or why I thought this was an important study to talk about. If you have issues, you're having symptoms that are unexplained, go in, deal with them. This is not something we can put off. I mean, early on, everything was locked down. We're talking about further lockdowns. We can't just keep putting things off. If you have unexplained symptoms, see somebody. If you have mental health issues that are getting worse and worse, see somebody. If you need lab tests done or diagnostic imaging done and you've just been putting on hold, get it done, right? So even if we do move to a lockdown or more of a, a restrictions, we can still do medical things, whether it be by phone, by virtual visit. Things are still moving forward and, and public needs to hear that. Mm-hmm. This isn't just uh, we put everything on hold and six months from now, will pop out the other end and now I can get all these things done that I thought I needed done now. They need to get done now. And if you have a concern, absolutely, it's not something that should wait, whether you do a, you know, a video call with your doctor or physically get into the office. Uh, you know, I think you're right. We really need to pay attention to what's going on in our bodies and with our health and make sure that we, we take care of those things. Absolutely. And I think early on, again, there was no, the notion of virtual visits sort of didn't exist. We thought, oh, uh, the clinics are closed, so you can't see anybody. The emergency rooms are all, you know, all it is is COVID people uh, in the reception areas or, you know, in the waiting rooms, and so can't go there. Uh, we can do more and more virtual things, and we can, we call triage. We can triage virtually, right, where if you have complaints, we can deal with them. Uh, and if somebody needs to be seen, we can still see them. So yeah. <laughs> it's business, uh, but it's not business as usual. But so don't, you know, the public, please do not put things off if there are serious things that need to get managed. Good message and a serious message. Thanks for your time, Dr. J. Okay, you betcha. That is Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. 849 on the morning news. It was a surprise aimed at brightening the holidays for Calgary veterans. Last night, a team of elves from ATCO pulled off a seasonal surprise to an unsuspecting group with one goal in mind, to raise spirits. Here to tell us about the ambitious undertaking is Corey Evans, Senior Manager of Sponsorship and Events with ATCO. Good morning to you, Corey. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Tell us what you and your crew were up to last night. Well, it was really a great night. We were at ATCO Village, and we surprised the veterans living there with uh, an elaborate light display. And then uh, we followed it up with a drive-by from 50 vehicles uh, from ADCO employees and families and friends. And uh, they went by and they really seemed to enjoy it. It was a really fun night. Awesome. Corey, remind us, what is ADCO Village? ADCO Village is a home for veterans that are transitioning um, from living on the street. So we estimate there's around 3,500 Canadian veterans that are, are living on the streets in Canada. So Homes for Heroes is a charity that uh, is working with the mustard seed to uh, to build uh, affordable housing for that transition period. So they opened the one in Calgary last November, and this was the one-year anniversary. And then they're hopefully going to have one completed in Edmonton next year. And they just announced plans for a third one in Kingston, Ontario. Awesome. Corey, this wasn't sending a bouquet of flowers. This was kind of a big deal, the whole <laughs> village. So I'm wondering what the response was from residents. 
Well, you know, it's really tough to have a surprise when you have to set up for three or four <laughs> days beforehand. So, you know, we, we really wanted that, you know, they obviously saw us setting up and asked lots of questions and, you know, just so great to chat with our veterans at any time. So that's why we wanted the parade to really be something they didn't anticipate and, uh, and didn't let them see the full light display. We are going to run the light display for Calgarians to come and watch right up until January 2nd. So that's uh, be exciting while people are out and social distancing in their cars and they can uh, go to 100.5 FM and uh, listen and hear the music that's choreographed with all the lights. Love that. Okay, so Corey, where do we find the information on uh, you know exactly where it is and how we go and what we need to do? Yeah, you can just go to adco.com backslash H4H and uh, we also have an opportunity there for people to donate to the charity, and we're going to match up to 100000 in donations. Fantastic. Good for you. Good on you for the amazing work that you're doing with veterans. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. That is Corey Evans, Senior Manager, Sponsorship and Events with ATCO.